negotiating the pitfalls and loopholes that come with being the middleman. Welcome to Service Calls, a podcast brought to you by Heritage Parts in partnership with Food Service Equipment Reports. I'm Rob LaFriends, and in this episode, we're going to talk about that fine line in the fight over if a repair is warranty work or not. And joining me, as always, is Food Service Equipment Reports Managing Editor, Allison Resendiz. We're also going to hear about an operator who did not adjust the temperature on his reach and refrigerator correctly before the shutdown. But first, on the phone from the great state of Pennsylvania, it's K&D Factory Service and Pine Tree Food Equipment President, Dan Deibler. And Dan, we thought of you when the topic of warranty work came up for service calls, uh, because a big part of your career has been about building better partnerships between service agents and manufacturers, especially when it comes to the costs associated with these types of calls. Uh, so let's talk about warranty work from the point of view of techs in the truck. Uh, could you explain the tech's responsibilities when it comes to warranty work, and what are some best practices? As far as best practices, I think it comes from the administration side in your own office before the call is dispatched. Because it's very hard for a tech to know manufacturer A requires this, manufacturer B requires this, manufacturer A only gives you so much time to work on this. To change the thermostat, the manufacturer might say you're limited to two hours. If it takes you longer, you have to call for authorization. Most techs don't know that. and Most techs don't sit there with a stopwatch. Okay, I'm starting. Oh, now I hit two hours. I have to call for authorization to go over this, this time period because of this or that issue that came up on the call. We do our best to teach our techs, document everything. So don't just put, I changed the thermostat. But I had to tap out the screws to get the panel open to change the thermostat so the manufacturer knows why it took an extra 45 minutes than it probably should have taken. So we want, we try to actually document more on warranty calls just to cover our butts. Another good practice is if the technician has talked to the manufacturer's tech support or somebody at the manufacturer during the call, make sure to get the name. And when I say name, full name, so many times the tech will put down. I talked to John at manufacturer ABC. Well, there's probably 30 Johns there. So we try to make sure they get the full name. So when we're putting our warranty claims in, we have who they talk to and who they, uh, uh, what they were told by that particular person uh, during the process. So the tech does have a lot of responsibilities. The issue is, is those responsibilities are different depending if they're working for one of three to 400 different manufacturers. Are there ever any situations where a tech needs to get pre-approval to uh, do the job? It all depends on the manufacturer's warranty platform or program. Some manufacturers, a customer can call us direct and say, hey, my steamer's down. It's under warranty. Please come fix. And we can go do it and we can submit a claim to the manufacturer. No questions asked. Some manufacturers require the customer to call them and then they dispatch us. Some manufacturers say the customer can call us, but we have to call them to get an authorization before we actually go dispatch the work. And I think one of the biggest problems there is I think each manufacturer views their own warranty program as a, um, I won't say intellectual property, but as a marketing piece of this is why our warranty program is better than company B's warranty program. All the conversations we've had, it's very hard to get a room of manufacturers together to agree on any idea of standardization because they view it as this is our market advantage when really, at least in my markets, my customers know it doesn't matter if they buy A, B, or C. 
I'm still going to be the servicer. And in most markets, they know if they buy A, B, or C, they're going to have this one servicer or these two servicers. It's going to be the same people that are going to come in and service it. So sometimes in my mindset is that the manufacturers think they have something proprietary when actually in an end user's mindset, it's not at all. What kind of trouble do you see techs running into on this type of call? Uh, I know you've pointed to a few examples already. Can you think of any more issues that they might run into and how would you recommend they avoid it? The other big issue is when we get called out for warranty and it ends up not being warranty. Either the equipment's not in warranty, the service we're doing is not covered under warranty or and if we find out on the back end or if we find out on site, like the tech calls into tech support for something and he's like, oh, that's not a warranty issue, build a customer. Now that puts the servicer in a very bad situation because now we're going to build a customer who thought it was warranty and then they're going to say, we're not paying this, this should be covered under warranty, even when we send them the rejection. Then it, it starts an escalation process. The customer calls their dealer. The dealer complains to the rep. The rep complains back up to the manufacturer and probably 80% of the time, unless it's straight, the unit's not in warranty anymore, the manufacturer ends up paying for it. That gives the servicer a black eye to the customer because we weren't able to take care of that issue for the customer. But it still got paid by warranty anyway. So the only person that looks good in that situation is normally the dealer. And the manufacturer uses it as a customer retention issue the problem is the only person that looks good in that entire situation is the dealer. So the customer may buy another piece of equipment. They'll probably go back to that same dealer, but whether they're going to buy that manufacturer's equipment again is always that question. Um, the biggest hurdle we have in warranty, I would say, is in those situations where a manufacturer rejects the warranty, whether we find out on site or afterwards and what happens after. Dan, I know we have a lot of um, texts in the truck out in the audience. And so I was wondering, what advice do you have for them? Let's say they're walking into a site and the customer believes that what is happening today is going to be covered on warranty. And then the tech immediately sees it's uh, end user abuse or misuse. How do you advise they handle a situation like that? First, communication is always the best. As a tech, you don't want to be just walking in, what's wrong, point it to me. Have a conversation with the manager or the person that's dealing with that issue. You know, never use the word warranty or that it's going to be covered under warranty until you know it's covered under warranty. Always use, well, we're here for the service call. The unit looks like it is still in the warranty period. Let me get started and uh, we'll find out what, what the issue is. At that time, whatever the customer answers is how you receive, you know, normally. Uh, my general manager or my warranty administrator will get involved in that point with the customer. Uh, we can start making calls to the dealers. But communication is the key. You know, the technician just doesn't want to walk into a customer with blinders on, go fix equipment and walk out. The more communication they have with a customer, normally the better situation ends up being uh, for all parties involved. Excellent. Some great insight there from a guy who knows his warranties. That was K&D Factory Service and Pine Tree Food Equipment President Dan Dibler. Thanks a lot, Dan. Okay, next up, it's from the field and on the phone from Macon, Georgia. It's Pierce Parts and Service Owner Joe Pierce. Uh, thanks for being with us again, Joe. Um, you got a call from a restaurant that was going through the process of reopening, as many of them are right now, uh, after the shutdown. Uh, what do they need help with? 
Sure. Uh, we received a phone call from a customer that had a uh, an upright cooler that was in a panic. Uh, and he said that his uh, cooler was not working. And so start doing temperature checks. And as soon as he opened the door, uh, it was blatantly obvious to us. The customer had a box that was frozen up, but there was a second component that really stood out. They had overstocked the the cooler to the point that it was literally stacked full of food from wall to wall with no air gaps, no no spacing in between it. Uh, so as we looked at it, you know, and he, he starts doing his diagnostic checks, uh, a third component that kind of stood right out uh, to us very obviously, uh, the temperature setting on it in this particular model number and manufacturer they don't use degrees that they set it by. It has a number sequence, you know, one through 10. Sure. And this one was actually set at the number 10. So as we looked at it, before we could go any further, the box had frozen up on the top side, but on the bottom side, because it had no air circulation, that the food on the bottom probably had spoiled. Uh, so in order for us to go any further, we advised a customer in order to do our job, we had to really uh, remove all the ice that was off the, on the coils uh, or the evaporator and, and start doing temperature checks and doing uh, freon checks to make sure it's, it's operating properly. So that process, unfortunately, is a timely process uh, with so much ice being built up on the top side and it had gone so long without anybody really paying attention and noticing it. It took about two hours to melt all the ice off the evaporator. So the customer said it was working when they initially you know, packed it with all the food. What happened when you tried to bring it back online again? It became real obvious that, that this thing is really working well. As we looked at it, we asked a question, you know, why was the thermostat uh, set at the, the highest setting? Yeah, what was, his, uh, what was his reasoning for that? He said, well, first off, when they were shutting down and they were loading it up. The employees were actually um, putting a lot of food in there and he noticed the temperature going up. So his mindset was, well, if it's going up, I need to turn it down and make it get a little bit colder. So he just turned it up wide open because they were trying to load up everything. They also uh, forgot to go back and uh, reset the thermostat. So in turn, even though the business was shut down, they were not monitoring temperature, checking temperature. So it literally ran for weeks. It sounds like one of those textbook cases of where you don't really understand the equipment you've got, right, Joe? It really uh, kind of caught me off guard. Uh, I, I, I felt All like right. he would have been more uh, engaged in, in, into understanding at least the basic mechanical operations of the equipment that are required so you got it working, and you ended up giving your customer a little tutorial on their own piece of equipment. Uh, what advice do you have for service techs who run into situations like this? Make an assessment. Talk to the customer. Share your findings with them. Let him know this is what it's going to take to bring this piece of equipment back online again. And then from there, begin to educate. Don't try to make them feel belittled or, or degraded because he doesn't understand. Because some of these guys... As I said before, it's so obvious that all they care about is is it working. They yeah. care really less about how does it work. So moral to the story, uh, it's good to know just how that pricey piece of equipment you rely on works. 
Thanks, Joe Pierce with Pierce Parts and Service. Next up, it's our nuts and bolts segment, and that's where we get tips and advice from essential techs like you who are out in the field. And this week's question was, what's your number one rule when it comes to phoning or texting customers? And we heard from a couple of the guys at RSI Inc. Uh, First, it's Jeremy Moss, who says he makes sure to call the next customer before leaving the prior job site. And Mark Montgomery says he makes sure to introduce himself and tell them what company he's with right away. Uh, up next, I've asked a couple colleagues of mine to help out. First, with EMR's Matt Gingrich. When I call or text a customer, I make sure that I'm very respectful and understanding of their issue. Listening to everything the customer has to say on the phone goes a long way once you arrive to their site to provide them service. And JNR Weber with General Parts LLC wrote in and said, Well, our customers reach out to us for support and help. And we feel it's critical that when our technicians or any of our employees are communicating with customers through any channel, our number one priority is to listen to their specific needs and make sure they feel that we have their best interests in mind. We want our customers to feel a sense of security, and we want to make sure we're being honest regardless of the situation. Thanks, Ron Brown and Bob Kessler, respectively, for helping out voicing those. And thanks to everyone for your contributions. We do appreciate it. Uh, Next week is your chance to give some props to one of your colleagues. What techs do you see doing good work? Tell us who they are and what they're doing so well. We'd love to hear from you, and there are a couple of ways to do it. You can call in to leave a message. Our number is 312-788-7618. That's 312-788-7618. You can also email or record a voice memo on your phone and send it along to servicecalls at fermag.com. And that's it for this episode of Service Calls, brought to you by Heritage Parts in partnership with Food Service Equipment Reports. We'll be back next month, so be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I'm Rob LaFrance.